0: Hello and welcome to SoftCats Explain It podcast series. We are well and truly up and running and churning out episodes quicker than conservative cabinet ministers. And unlike cabinet ministers, we're providing access to factual information and sharing nuggets of insights from our guests who are experts in their field. If you like this episode and want to listen to some more, please visit our back catalogue. It's certainly not Oasis and we don't receive royalties, but we do appreciate you listening and providing feedback and you can provide feedback some might say see what i did there that is as dangerous as tom cruise flying real planes in top gun but we are open to the danger zone using our new whatsapp feature so please feel free to ask questions and provide feedback by messaging us on 07548 that's 07548 My name is Dean Gardner, SoftCats Field Chief Technology Officer, and we're here to explain it. Every episode, our team of experts, not cabinet ministers, are here to talk tech in simple, jargon-free language. And over the course of the series, we'll be discussing new trends and ideas, as well as solutions to everyday problems in this fascinating and ever-changing world of tech. So the key is in the title, and on that note, I will introduce today's topic, which is an extension or could even be a sequel from our last episode, the danger zone that is securing the multi-cloud, or securing the multi-cloud of madness if we're talking true sequel. Listen to episode four for that to make sense. During this podcast, we aim to delve into why organizations need to look at security differently when adopting hybrid or multi-cloud, and how the CISO plays an important role. To answer those questions and much more, I'm joined by Ryan Sheldrake, field CTO at Lacework, Andy Schneider, CISO at Lacework, and our very own Explain It Regular, Adam Luca, Softcatch Chief Technologist for Security. Thank you for joining me today. And on to the first question. What are the main issues when securing a multi-cloud environment? And Ryan, I'll throw that one at you first.
1: Sure. Thanks, Dean. I think complexity would be the first thing that I would definitely call out because the public cloud providers do have some great tools. They're very internally focused on the services that they provide. But once you start to go to multi-cloud or multi-services in multi-cloud in multi-region, then things can get really complex really, really quickly. There are hundreds of services now across the the main cloud providers. And once you start to leverage those, which is the true value of the cloud, you know, you're know you no longer creating things from a blank screen, uh, like when it was back in the mainframe. Um, you can go and leverage a service, your database as a service. You can even get video encoding as a service. There's all sorts of services that come with risk services associated with them that need to be considered, managed, and potentially remediated.
0: And, and Andy, complexity, multi-cloud, just those things seem to go together quite quite well. So stripping it all back, you know, what 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 does the security landscape actually look like today for a customer, a typical customer, in your opinion?
2: Yeah, so it really depends. So you have like companies that are born in the cloud. So usually they're like startups a couple of years old. So they will have a completely different understanding and mindset if you look at security. So they run agile methodologies, they they are developing do devops and there security is much more embedded decentrally uh, in the organization one problem they face is if they are growing and growing they become corporates no one likes that name but at a certain point if you don't know the developer by name anymore in person you have to set up like processes and so on and then you, the tool landscape is increasing massively so the complexity you have in the multi cloud Uh, even multiplies if you then have to manage your security organization with people you might not know, with different speeds, different methodologies they use. So the complexity is the killer for security. And so this applies for for the companies that are born in the cloud, companies that are not yet in the cloud or are transforming to the cloud. It's even worse. So you have the complexity of the old world, the infrastructure, the data center, an old mindset of a policeman as a CISO. And then you have to be also the modern super evangelist that is doing cloud security for the modern people. So it's multiplying that complexity up.
0: And Luca, to you, the importance of a CISO in an organization now, give a perspective on that. Is it just technology or is there processes, people, all these things seem to keep coming out. Andy just mentioned a few things there, going from legacy to new and obviously cloud natives, all of that. Is it a new type of CISO that's needed?
3: I think it's the role of the CISO definitely has evolved. And I think the importance of the CISO has evolved. When we look at CISOs, even just a few years ago, they were often seen as audit functions, they were seen there as checks and measures for the IT organization and potentially uh, reflected in their reporting line. You know, Often people use this idea of a narrow CISO versus a wide CISO. So narrow CISO being generally looks after governance and risk and compliance activities and audit and assurance, took less ownership of the operational elements within an organization. Whereas when we look at more modern CISOs, they are very much A, embedded in the technology organization with their own Budget their own capabilities with their own teams and with their own culture as well. You know, um, we now see organisations that have the office of the CISO rather than just the office of the CTO or, or CIO. There's also the element of the CISO becoming a, a business partner, a true business leader, and actually being a key. Part of every decision that an organization makes is no longer a "Hey, let's bring security in" as the afterthought. We must embed security into every decision we make as part of an organization, as part of any good enterprise risk management approach. You know, fundamentally, it's no different than fiscal responsibility or or, or, or fiscal risk management. So, the role of the CISO is definitely evolving. I think CISOs are are gaining their own maturity as well. You know, we're a very new job function. You know, it's not something that's existed forever. And actually, I think the methodology of what does a good CISO look like is is definitely evolving and growing as as we learn by doing. But the, the one thing I would say to take away is that the some of the the best CISOs I've had the the privilege of working with truly embed their organisation as as part of the business. You know, it is truly a business partnering function, and create a create a culture within their organization of approachability, of enthusiasm, of, of positivity towards security. You know, Andy used the lovely term being a policeman versus being an evangelist. You know, being a policeman just doesn't work. You know, it's, it's not going to be successful long term. You, you need to be uh, embedded in the culture of the organization and be a positive force within that culture, within that organization to make positive change. And we use acronyms
0: quite a lot. So I just want to revisit CISO. What, what does it stand for? Let's, let's, let's call it out for what it what it actually means. So it's the Chief Information Security Officer. And so Andy, yeah. as a CISO working for an organization, how has it evolved for you over the last few years?
2: I mean... Many CEOs have that C in their title, but the C has a meaning. Usually you are part of the board or the exec- executive management, but only few CEOs really are part of that board. So being part of such a let's say executive group means that you take over ownership and responsibility. Um so and that's one thing that CEOs don't do that often. So they recommend uh they, they do more recommendations rather than really, uh, taking over the ownership and say, we'll go to the left. And if we fail by going to the left, it was my decision and I take over the responsibility for that. And I have the budget and the competences. If you, if you have such a role like a real CISO, you will decide differently. So, um, It's enabling the business. If you are responsible for the budget and the success for the company, you're a business enabler. So you do things differently. Sometimes you would say, okay, I'll take that risky path because it's the better for the business. It's worse for security, but sometimes you have to go that path. So CISOs are changing. More and more CISOs are becoming more relevant. You have the SEC in, in the US that now requires um, public listed companies that there the board needs to have security cybersecurity knowledge available in there. So this really strengthens the role of CISOs out there. I just believe that there are only few CISOs really capable of filling that, that new role. They, they come out of that recommendation world and that's not enough. And especially if you deal with modern methodologies, if you have DevOps, if you have multi-cloud, you can't just recommend doing things. You really have to step in and take over ownership. And there are different ways doing that. There are more the influencer type of CISOs. The others are like evangelists. Some are really strong in decision-taking. And all of these are valid. Uh, They must fit to the culture and the the business you have.
0: So it's not just managing, maintaining security governance and going into Ryan's world as a CTO, they need to really start understanding the landscape, the technology landscape, the complexity that we spoke about earlier. So Ryan, if you had to start from scratch to build a security strategy to support multi-cloud from a technology perspective, let's look at it from that. What would be your approach? And then how would you bring the security and the CISO into that model or that framework?
1: So if I was literally starting from um, Greenfield, I would look to, as Andy's uh, already mentioned, is to look to be, rather than having a center of excellence or a CISO office, which is command and control and the police that get sent out into projects, I'd look to uh, formulate some kind of center for enablement. Um, training the the teams you know that could could mean a security champion that tours around different teams um, a place to go to if teams are struggling to be able to get the insights that they need into the applications that they're running in each of the cloud providers Um, have they just started to use kubernetes have they containerized everything are they in a, a heterogeneous hybrid environment So I would actually look to start to enable the wider teams, the engineering teams, the DevOps teams, to start to embed mentally and culturally security into the delivery. If you're using infrastructure as code, you need to be thinking about security as you're writing the code that then builds your infrastructure that you then run your applications on or within, depending on if you're containerized, etc. So I think training enablement and um, gaining trust is really important. Um, and, you know, trusting people to go and do the right thing, but then verifying that that's happening at the more macro level is the approach I would generally take. And looking to leverage potentially some independent tools. So I don't have 20 tools across 50 services, across 80 regions, across the various cloud providers. Um, Because again, security tools can become complex as well as the environments, applications, and infrastructure which are trying to manage risk around.
3: Ryan makes a kind of an interesting point uh, and something that I've definitely noticed within our customers is, Um, increasingly uh, CISOs or, or people responsible for security are recognizing that you need a tool strategy. That it needs more than needs to be more than just uh, a nebulous thought, kind of in your head. It needs to be something that's actually understood. Like, what is our tooling strategy as an organisation, and and actually, how do we make decisions about buying tools and capabilities? Because we all know IT's fickle and fun, and we always need new shiny things, don't we? There's always something coming along that we need a new capability, we need a new service. You know, Andy talks about let's go and do video encoding tomorrow, and the day after that, let's go and do Kubernetes, and the day after that, let's 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 do a, a decentralized. Bitcoin and the day after that, let's do NFTs because you know that's tech and that's our life. But without a really well articulated tooling strategy and actually understanding how are you making decisions, often you can allow people in your organization to make tooling purchasing choices that then impact the organization longer term, and you end up creating your own technical debt through your tooling. So actually, now you're creating technical debt not only with the applications you build and the infrastructure you build, not it's actually now your operations tools are adding technical debt before you know it you you've got more technical debt than you've got technical value and that's a really scary place to get
0: and if you just described i think andy was mentioning it earlier actually that you know that complexity from the traditional on premises world into the cloud or the multi cloud is that you describe you're describing essentially what's happening in that landscape surely where you you're trying to take tooling that our legacy four legacy environments and retrofit them or move them into a a cloud world. Or also what I think Ryan mentioned, you're using tools that are native to those hyperscalers or public clouds. Let's call them that. Um, And then suddenly you've got this kind of multiple tooling, multiple platform challenge. So are we looking at aggregations of platforms from a security standpoint? So you're looking at security as an aggregation layer across, you know, the AWSs, the Googles, the Azures, and the on-premises world where you're having to think about it as one thing going across all of those things and looking at tooling, processes, and obviously people in that almost aggregation layer. Is that where we're heading? And how easy is that if that is a thing?
3: Not very, is the honest answer. Like, But, but you've got to start somewhere. And I, th- I would always think about starting with what is the capability I'm trying to deliver and, and what is the the risk or the threat I'm trying to mitigate and then work from there because you know there will always be different ways of achieving that mitigation in different ways. There will be some that are, you know, we may, to Andy's point, we may accept that risk, you know, we may accept that threat because actually the value of of uh, the outcome is, exceeds the risk that I'm exposed to. But you've got to start with what am I what am I actually trying to do and actually start at that real, really high-level enterprise architecture view of what, what are the actual different protections I'm putting in? And then from there, you've got to think about what's the most appropriate or applicable way of applying those to the different environments that I operate in and how do I do that in the most effective and efficient way to ensure that at maximizing every pound I spend or every minute I spend on security, I get the biggest return for that? Because it's that loss efficient, that loss coefficient that comes out of that is, is that that's the opportunity, that's the wasted space. You know, if you spend a pound on a product, but you turn on 30% of the features, your loss coefficient is 70% on that pound. So you got 30p of security value from the the pound you spent. If you lose another 10% from procedural inefficiency, all of a sudden your pound has only turned into 20p of risk reduction. And actually, if you can start pushing that up, that's where, you, where your opportunity is. But that, that's my perspective. Andy, what do you think? You know, you, you, you live in this world.
2: I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really difficult to find the right answer because there's no silver bullet. Every organization is different. But from my experience, it's difficult to really um, harmonize and aggregate across the old world and the new world. Things are just different. Let's say, as an example, in the old world, um, people cared about the servers. You had server admins. You don't have that role anymore. It's called differently. They act differently. Things are done as code. So the same function is done very differently. You also don't look that much at firewalls anymore in the cloud. So I believe that it's the same question that you are Faced? How do I detect uh, malicious attacks, for example? As it's easy, you need to ask that question. And if there is a tool that, that brings me the aggregation across all the infrastructures that you have, fantastic. But maybe it's cheaper to have different specific tools the one that is really good in solving the problem in the cloud and the one that is solving it on premise. So, because efficiency is really. That's also a killer. If you try to solve everything with one tool, you might fail then you then other things might not be best and For me, it was always like if you ask the right questions how how can I detect malicious attempts? How can I make sure that my infrastructure is not vulnerable, that access is done from people that only should have access. And then you break it down, and then you can ask your experts. In the cloud, the answers will definitely look differently than on-prem. And that's something many CISOs have to learn. So it's that if you do, if you move to the cloud and you do lift and shift, everyone knows that that's not the way you should do it. You should rebuild cloud-native, then you benefit from the cloud. Many CISOs do lift and shift of their security mindset and security organization. That is working. Uh, but it's the least efficient way of doing it. You don't benefit from the new world if you do that. So I would always try to rethink and find the new answers to the same questions that you had before.
3: Just to jump in on on, on Andy's point, it just made such a lovely, um, a lovely point there about the kind of lift and shift mentality of security. It's, it's often not particularly talked about. You know, we talk so much about reforming and refactoring and when we talk about cloud uh, applications or cloud systems you know and it's a very well-trodden uh, kind of pathway but how regularly do we talk about that insecurity and 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 it, you're, you're so right it is it is so often that we see people trying to put virtual firewalls up as an approach and and essentially to replicate my kind of network but it's in the cloud and and the different security monitoring points and and fundamentally it's just it's just not possible you don't have the same level of access it's not the same architecture it's just it, you're securing a different beast and if you try and use the same approaches you're either going to fail fundamentally or two you're going to have a really really bad time doing it and it's not going to be it's not going to be fun uh, and your operations teams aren't going to love you for it
0: so is it an architecture conversation you mentioned it earlier luca in terms of how you change the way you architect, because that's what I've, sounds like you're, you're kind of saying, how you architect applications, how you deploy applications, and obviously how you secure them. And at that point with cloud native, that architecture is being driven a lot more by developers. So how do you bridge that challenge together from a security standpoint? How do you get embedded into those two worlds? Because today, architecture
3: and dev, are they separate or are they together when it comes to cloud? In my opinion, they they have to be together because actually it's about creating blueprints and templates. You know, that's something that developers are very comfortable with. You know, it's a common thing for them to do is to use development templates, you know, things that they can make repeatable components out of. But we have to make the security like that as well. We have to embed the security into the way that they want to work uh, and fundamentally think about, well, how do we intrinsically bake security into the application and what we're building? I think the second part of that question is, how do we evolve how we monitor and detect threats? You know, we can't apply the same methodologies that we did on an on-premise infrastructure because fundamentally the hooks just aren't there. You know, if you want to wind the kind of geek propellers up, you know, you can't get into the network flows in the same way. You can't shimmy into the infrastructure in the same way. Like you can't get into the vCenter. You know, there isn't a physical network port that I can go and put a span on. You can't take those concepts into the new world. And if you do, they're hacky and they don't work very well and they're, they're all bodges. And, and the reason they're bodges, and you start to hit problems, capacity, bandwidth challenges, failover challenges, is because you're fundamentally trying to make the cloud act like an on-premise infrastructure. And guess what? AWS, Azure, GCP—they don't want you to work like that. And they're not—you know—that it's not going to magically do it. So you have got to start changing the way you approach the problem and you've got to work with the system not against the system you've got to work with the cloud not trying to make the cloud something it isn't um, and so that means you've got to think about API based you've got to think about out-of-band security you've got to think about automation you've got to think about embedding security into the CI/CD pipeline or into the application itself uh, and really fundamentally shift your mindset towards how you secure this because I think as as Andy said otherwise you know you might do okay for, for a little bit But as you start to scale, you're either going to have security that's ineffective, inefficient, or makes the organization inefficient itself. So your developers become inefficient, you know, and neither one of those outcomes is good. And does that create the ultimate
0: problem, which is more risk because the threat landscape is widening, you're developing in potentially multiple platforms. And if you don't get that strategy correct, the impact of the business could be significant, surely?
3: I mean, yeah, I try not to focus on that, not because I don't think it's important, but because I think the biggest risk is that businesses become ineffective and ineffectual. I think the, the threat landscape is the threat landscape. You know, It's always there. It's like a humming background noise. And if you're going to get popped, potentially you're going to get popped. You know, it kind of is what it is. But if you're going to get popped, you want to have at least been effective as an organization. So actually don't cripple yourself with either fear about the threat landscape or slow yourself down so much that actually your business doesn't achieve its objectives and doesn't achieve the growth and the, the targets that it set out for itself. Because what's more likely to shut your business down? You know, cyber attack or failure of the business. You know, both are catastrophic scenarios and both are equally important. So security can't be the only thing. You know, we can't not do that stuff. So we have to we have to push forward, but we have to push forward in a way that we try and mitigate the risk, but allow the business to progress and achieve its goals and ambitions.
1: I think there's a risk if you use the traditional approach over in multi-cloud that you may not even realize you've been popped, as we're we're calling it, Um, because you're blind. You can't get to those data streams, those logs that you used to be able to get to. You can't, as you say, go up to Google's data center with a physical device and go, hey, Google, can I just plug this in for a second? That's kind of not going to happen. So that's where the evolution over to a data-driven security approach really comes into its own. There's a huge amount of data that comes from the multi-cloud providers. Logs, 100,000 logs per minute in some services, which is great because it's very detailed, but then you need to look at distilling the signal from the noise. And that's where automation, some kind of AI, machine learning, some data science comes into its own to detect if you have been popped. Because, as I say, you may not even know if you're just looking at a subset of logs from a, a flow log rather than an app log or rather really your Kubernetes audit logs. If you're missing some of those, you've got blind spots. And I've seen, you know, when we've gone in and uh, started to monitor environments, crypto miners have already been there for for weeks, months, and maybe even years. Dare I say it? So, without actually being able to visualize what you've got across your multiple cloud providers and services within those, do you really know what your risk surface is? The data and logs are the only way to go and start to to do that in the, the new kind of multi-cloud security approach.
3: Isn't it amazing that, um, especially in the in the multi-cloud environment, that almost volume of data can blind you? And I don't mean that from the perspective of making sense of it, because that's clearly a problem, being able to make sense of volume of data. But sometimes there's... You almost get this sense of reassurance. To your point, Ryan, you're like, "Hey, well, I'm getting like a hundred thousand logs out of like of uh, cloud trails," but that's not the logs you should be looking for. And there's not this kind of neat central place that brings all the logs together. You know, it's not like you, can, you know, it, it, it isn't actually that simple. The logs are in so many different parts and components of different areas. And what's in what's in Azure AD log? What's in Office three hundred and sixty five log? Where what's is what's in this service and that service and this service and what's running in the application layer? And it's a data problem. You know, security is now a data problem, and we have to approach it with that type of methodology. Last season, we had a uh, Nir Zukon, who, uh, who I'm sure many people will know, co-founder of of Palo Alto and, and CTO then. And, and he spoke about a similar thing. He spoke about this this idea of like it being this kind of like uh, minefield of, of of different kind of data sources, and unless you were able to aggregate that uh, and provide a provide essentially a, a data aggregation platform and gain insights. You're always going to be missing some part of the story, and if that element is is the most important bit, where where a malicious actor is, and that's the only place you're going to know about it. To your point, Ryan, everything can seem fine, and all of a sudden, you you seems telling you, "Well, we're taking a gazillion logs in; it must be okay." But if it's not, if you're not taking the right logs in, you, you can still have a problem.
2: I might have a funny story about that. So, uh, in in one of the last companies I was CISO for. We ingested like all the cloud logs to our, it was a CM. Uh, and from there we had a managed service provider looking at that. But very often it's the business or the customer who detect the attacks first. So we had like a DDoS, really a hard DDoS attack over one month. And after one week, our SOC detected the DDoS because they were just flooded by trillions of of log data. They were totally unable to digest that. We already knew because our customers were unable to access the websites. So if we go back to the question, what should a CISO be in a security organization? You should bring business value. It's absolutely no value that you find the attack and detect it one week later. So And the key is finding that needle in the haystack in there. And you need to find it before the business finds it. Otherwise, you are irrelevant for the business because they already know that things are not going well. So for me, it's really the key to find the solution in the data. And it's not like you can do it like in the old world, you write thousands of rules. That's not working in the cloud. There are more efficient ways doing that because you have that capability of the cloud. That's what I said. Also, security needs to be rebuilt in a cloud-native way. Detections need to be done differently in the cloud than you do it on premise, because it's just another environment and you have other capabilities to work with the data. So no magic bullet. There's nothing that solves this today,
0: or there's it's, 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 a, it's an array of things that need to evolve and change. So what should we focus on to keep up with the speed, the rate of change, this acceleration to these cloud platforms? Just a couple of pointers, you know, in terms of what should we focus on what should be the priorities if you had to start today or reset today what are the priorities
3: for me personally i would always start with what what am i trying to protect you know what are these what are the assets that i'm trying to protect what are their value and and then i'd move into how are they likely to be attacked so that's kind of threat modeling so thinking about okay well how could somebody attack those different assets that I've deployed on the cloud uh, in a hybrid multi-cloud whatever it kind of doesn't really matter and then from there I'm going to start thinking about well how do I put mitigations in place and and really with that tooling strategy in mind of how do I deliver simplicity and consolidation and efficiency where possible while also having an eye on how do I make sure I collect the right feeds of information that enables my SOC whether in-house or or outsourced to appropriately respond and detect the threats that I'm not going to be able to block so i'm i'm always going to try and come from this from the threat model and then work my way through to the tools the technology and the processes that sit behind that and then secondly working out what's the most appropriate way to do that in each infrastructure so what's the most elegant way of doing it and while also recognizing that tool consolidation at the cost of effectiveness isn't a good strategy like actually if you need something different it's okay to have a different tool as long as you can justify it like and i think often There is a lot of buzz in the industry around consolidation and we've spoken about it a lot, but consolidation has to have a limit. You know, you don't consolidate. So if I was making a a terrible analogy, if I consolidated all of my clothes down today, yeah, I'd only have shorts and T-shirts. I'm going to freeze in the winter. Like, you know, actually we don't, you know, I try not to have too many clothes, but I accept that there's different seasons. And I wear different clothes in different seasons. So if we kind of think about a tooling strategy like that, we try and limit the tools as much as possible, but we accept that there's different methodologies in different environments. And therefore, I need to have the most appropriate tool, but still in an efficient way. Anybody want to add to Luca there?
1: Yeah, I think you touched on it. So visualization, what's actually running across the multiple cloud providers It sounds like the simplest thing, but we we no longer have the the network diagrams on the data center wall, and you can't walk down the the racks and go, oh, yeah, there it is. I can actually see the thing. That just doesn't exist anymore. So I think going and actually mapping out what's running where on a continuous basis, because things can change really rapidly. You know, you can go and build tens or hundreds of servers in under an hour now. Once you can start to visualize, you know, what you've got to manage, you can then start to prioritize mapped across to business risk, you know, do I need to... Uh, go and patch that vulnerability because it's a critical business processing entity in the public cloud or can i leave it as because it's maybe a development machine and you can start to map your prioritization of where you put your effort and your focus and your funding and your project points whatever that might be once you visualized it map it and then if something does happen because things do happen yeah you can be as proactive as you want but there's always the day zero, pre-day zero exploit. There are unknowns. Start to manage your known risk. So things with a badge, a CVE reference or something like that, push that back into the teams, but then look at uh, all of the logs and the data to get insight and then be able to triage rapidly based on granular level detail, getting the right detail to the right people at the right time. That's the kind of prioritization journey I would go through. But without mapping and visualizing what's across all of those services, you really don't know what you're managing. So it's really difficult to even make a start.
2: Maybe I can add to that. This continuous approach is really something very important. So for me, it was always like, I'm a fan of decentralization. So um, I think we had it in the beginning. We should create a CISO NFT. It's ridiculous, but maybe that is working. Hey, we might be more successful doing that, hey? Uh, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> it's a good idea. But I believe that as a CISO, if you ask the ultimate question to yourself, what do I need to do so that I'm no longer needed in the, in the organization? So if you come up with that very high level question, but it's, for me it was always like embedding security everywhere. So to create a resilient organization and a resilient product. And so this means the infrastructure needs to be resilient. And usually today these are different people doing it. It's the DevOps are running most of the security right now, and that's a good thing. And I have to enable them so that they can run it without me. This will mostly never happen. Uh it's easier than more that like a strategic evangelist whatever and enable them but it's really they have to do everything if you if you do that it's like with covid if everyone would have a good uh, immune system we would not have any problem at all trying to solve the problem uh, and pushing it down to the organization usually does no longer work so you have to find ways to create that resilience and doing things in a continuous way like Ryan said, is very important because that's how DevOps and the modern way of development works. You get immediately feedback, they solve it, they write good code, they increase the code quality so the product becomes better and you as a teaser, you are just looking at it and improving. It should be like that, but I think it's some kind of ideal uh, thought that I have that will never happen. But uh, as a teaser, you should go into that way, I believe.
0: And if you want to know what an NFT is, please listen to episode one of season five of Explain It, because we talk about stuff like that in the Metaverse episode. So um, I think that's a good place to stop. And I just want to thank you all for joining me today. Fascinating security landscape when it comes to multi-cloud and multiple platforms and the importance of the CISO. I think that's really kind of what I've got from today organizational structure ensuring that's part of the business development and having that continuous approach with a whole range of other stuff that's been mentioned so thank you Andy thank you Ryan thank you Luca thank you for listening and look out for our next episode where we talk a bit more around security zero trust zero chance if you want to know what that means listen in